Hi, my name is Sylvia Molina, and I'm author of Supportive Accountability, How to Inspire People and Improve Performance. And you're listening to My Quest for the Best with Bill Ringle. Listen up, small business founders, senior managers, and rising stars. Bill Ringle here, host of My Quest for the Best, where ambitious small business leaders discover strategies and tactics to unlock your growth potential. On each episode, I bring you the inside stories from published and accomplished guests who want to share their knowledge and experiences so you can be more successful in leading your people, managing your business, and navigating towards more growth and more impact in a changing and challenging landscape. Let's dive in. Joining me today is Sylvia Malena. Sylvia is the founder and CEO of Malena Consulting Group, a leadership and management consulting company. She developed the Supportive Accountability Leadership Model, a framework that helps leaders engage employees, promote accountability, and boost performance. Sylvia is here to talk about her book, Supportive Accountability, How to Inspire People and Improve Performance. She's based outside of San Diego, California. Welcome, Sylvia. Hi, Bill. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. Sylvia, tell me, when you were growing up, who's someone who influenced or inspired you? Yeah, the people who inspired me the most growing up were my parents. They were both immigrants from Mexico and they had to start working at a very young age so they didn't finish uh, their elementary school. They went to second and third grades. Yet in spite of that, they instilled a lot of values that I still carry to this day. One of those values was education. In my family, it wasn't about if you went to college, it was about when. And so we went to college. The other thing is that my mother was very big on excellence. Everything we did had to be done to the best of our ability. And, um, and we carried that with us. And my father was all about helping people, as was my mother. So it was excellence and it was about helping other people. And so that I carried with me into the workplace and into everything that I do. The excellence value is really important and interesting to me. Sylvia, can you share with me an example of how excellence influenced a particular decision you made or action you took? It might not have been the easy road to take, but it was one that you chose based upon embracing excellence in your life? Yes. So my mother's version of excellence was take the bull by the horns. When you're giving a task, go for it, even if it's the first time you're getting it done. As an example, earlier in my career, I worked as a social worker and I was promoted to a temporary supervisor position. And I was given the task of implementing an entire quality assurance program for the organization. I've never done quality assurance. I had never um, worked in that field. And what I did is I remembered what I've been tasked with as a child is everything I do is with excellence. So I researched it. I developed a full model, very similar to the one that I, I have in support of accountability, where it just really implemented all the elements of what quality assurance is, from getting the foundation right, the expectations of the people, all the way through acknowledging them for good work and holding them accountable. So it's been something that's really been ingrained in me and that I've, I've used. And as a result, we did turn our performance around in that particular organization. We went from a low performance to very high performance, and I was commended by the executive officer of the organization. It's always nice to be recognized for the good results that come from putting all of your effort, energy, intelligence, and talent into something. Yes. When you put your effort and energy and someone recognizes you, it validates and it says that it, it didn't go unseen and it was appreciated. 
So this would certainly be an early foundation of the model of supportive accountability. Yes. Was there a particular moment where you realized that this was something you wanted to teach, something that you wanted to be known for, and something that you wanted to write about? Was there a turning point that crystallized it for you? Actually, there wasn't one turning point. I could really say that this has been a lifelong journey for me. So just as that example of me working in that quality assurance program, another experience is I implemented an entire department, again, with the same philosophy of a full quality. It's, um, I guess, sort of like total quality management. Mm -hmm. And it just has been a way of being. I love results. And to get results, there has to be a systematic way to get there. So it has really been a lifelong journey for me and really just learning by doing. So there had to be a point where you said, I no longer want to do this internally, but you want to do it externally as a consultant. What was that like? Yes, that that was interesting. So I knew that I loved to do what I do. And I was making a difference within my organization and seeing results, not just quantitative, not just the, the numbers, the, the data, but seeing people engaged and happy and thriving at work and then seeing our customer base served with excellence. That was my passion. That, that's what I live for. But at some point I felt I wanted to have a broader reach, a broader impact. And that's when the thought of incorporating my consultancy came in. But that happened in 2014 and know that I was still working full-time. So I really didn't do a whole lot with that. So the next phase in the process was in 2016, my mother passed away. And at that time, I actually took action on writing the book. And so that's when all the ideas started flowing. And really, it was a culmination of, it was a very much um, self-exploration, reflection, analyzing what I had taught other people, how I had done what I'd done, and putting it down on paper. And eventually, the model flowed out of that. The book was published, and it got you some visibility. What was it like to get your first consulting or training gig as a result of that as an independent consultant? It was different because you do have to have that balance. You are independent, not really part of the organization, but you're trying to meet the needs of the organization. It was actually very surprising because even though I incorporated in 2014, the book was published in July of 2018. And at that point, immediately after the book launched, I started getting calls and I knew that I could not continue working and fulfill my dream of launching my business. So I retired in January and in January, I started doing podcasts. I actually came on um, Kevin Cruz's show, LeadX, and yeah, and, and the rest is history. It has been an interesting ride, very unexpected. Things are happening fairly quickly. So exhilarating, scary at times. I'm going to be real. It, it's not always easy to get out and get out of your comfort zone. But if you really want to make a difference, you really have to jump on the opportunity when it comes. And again, it goes back to my mother's philosophy of grabbing the, the bull by the horns. And if he throws you off, you dust yourself off and you get back on. The model of supportive accountability is very straightforward. It's, it's a two by two model in essence to represent it so that people have an idea in mind as they're listening to the podcast or looking at the show notes. It's a two by two grid where accountability 
is an x-axis and the supportiveness is the y-axis or vertical axis. And by looking at where you are, it helps you assess what your current state of interaction and supportiveness and how you're leading someone based upon these two important dimensions. What else would you say to help someone get the gist in just a, a sentence or two about how to think about supportive accountability? Mm -hmm. The bottom line with the model is about balancing supportive leadership and accountability. So it's the balance between the two. And it's not always 50-50, it's being nimble and applying the right amounts of each. I like that. I like that adaptability to the particular situation. Because as you and I both know, there are people who small business leaders are overseeing, managing, mm -hmm. leading every day, who are acting in ways that are not contributing to the company's growth, that might be harming morale or fraying or straining business relationships. What is it that the model can bring to that situation and allow managers who are seeing this behavior, knowing it's not okay, what does it allow them to see about themselves and what does it allow them to do to help rectify that situation? Mm -hmm. So in the four quadrant model that we referenced between the four leadership styles of supportive accountability, managers and supervisors can identify themselves within that framework. For instance, and I'll give an example, if someone is high in supportiveness but low in accountability, then they would fall in the supportive unaccountability style. And what that means is that they really enjoy the people side, being liked, creating a great environment, making it fun, but they're having difficulties with the accountability side. And that's not good for morale. It's not good for the high-performing employees that are usually carrying the load. So identifying where you fall is the starting point of making that, that journey towards supportive accountability. And that's where you're high on supportiveness and also high on accountability. And um, these are not labels, and I want to make sure that I emphasize that. It's not about labeling people. It's not about personality. These styles are about the approach. So it doesn't matter if if I'm a direct communicator versus indirect or whether I'm soft-spoken and a little bit more assertive, it's about how I choose to use those strengths and how I approach the team. One of the things that you teach in your book is about expectations. Mm -hmm. What are some of the surprising insights you've gained about expectations that'll help deepen the ability of manager or leader of a small business to work with their team more effectively by conveying expectations in a different way. First of all, I'd like to point out that the expectations are found in a chapter called Expectations That Inspire. And that's really key, the word inspire, because all these elements, the seven elements in the model are really about approach. And if we approach them in the spirit of supportive accountability, then they're not just transactional elements, the example expectations. If all we're doing is talking about performance indicators, widgets that we need to produce, and we're just focusing on the output, then they're very much transactional and they don't inspire. 
to inspire expectations have to have to really touch into that deep part of ourselves as people. We're born for greatness and we want to make a difference. Deep down in all of us, we want to leave a mark, a footprint, something that says we were here and we contributed to humanity. So leaders, in order to inspire employees, they really have to show them how their work connects not just to the bottom line, but to the bigger picture, the greater good of the organization, the mission and vision, if you will, if you want to look at it that way. And so we need to help them connect to that. And that is called meaningful work. When you look at the leadership and management research, it's meaningful work that we're talking about. It's, it's not just the numbers. It's the humanity in what I do. Sylvia, could you give me an example of how someone can have a conversation and inspire someone with expectations. Okay, so I'll give an example of, of a way that I did it once uh, in an organization that I was working for that focused on, and this is a little bit different because it, it was social services, but let me, let me tailor it then to um, maybe something more company-based. So if someone is working for an organization, let's say that produces plane parts, um, whether it's um, the fuselage for a certain airplane, and they're talking, they can talk numbers and volume and you have to adhere to close tolerances, all that is transactional and it's very much focused on the stuff. It's focused on the work itself. But when you paint a bigger picture of what our company is achieving, if it's in defense, what does it mean to the nation? What does it mean to the safety of our country? How are we patriots in what we're doing? It's really looking at the bigger impact that we're having as, as a business and as an organization. So it's being very, and if you're working in, let's say, a social services environment, it's more of not so much the casework, but the lives that we're touching. In food service, is how are we making a difference? Is it nutrition? Is, if you're being sanitary, you're preventing foodborne illnesses, there's always something that we're contributing to. It's finding that, that why, that why are we doing this and, and honing in on that. Aren't there two, or at least two parts to it though? It's the larger mission of what's required in that role and responsibilities. And then there's the part that's internal. So it has to connect with why that matters to the person who's being assigned or tasked to do that work. Yes, that's correct. And that's congruency in my role in congruency between my values and my work. And you're right, the research is very clear on that. And, and that's the thing. Now, the what drives me as a person, I have my values. Maybe I won't be able to change someone's values, but I can be crystal clear. Now, the best place to be clear about values, organizational values, I believe, is at, uh, at hiring. When you're making that selection, when you're interviewing, having those conversations so that the candidate can decide, is this something I can stand behind? And even as you onboard them, is continuing to to really touch on those values. And you're right, different people are wired for different things and different people care about different things. And so then that brings us to the part of the model that is the supervisor employee relationship, which talks about getting to know each individual employee as a direct supervisor, as a manager, as much as you can. Now your span of control is a little bit bigger, but getting to know the people so that you can then know what's important to them and what matters, what drives them intrinsically, because you're right, intrinsic motivation is much more powerful than extrinsic motivation, such as rewards. And I also like the way that you describe being effective with supportive accountability. 
means that you have to be in a particular mindset yourself to be aware and listening and looking to take in information as much as a lot of times people think of holding someone accountable as strictly telling them what they need to do to change. But it's much more interactive the way that you describe it. And there's as much of an internal game going on as an external game. Would you say that's fair? Yeah, that is fair. And so what what you're talking about is that collaborative communication when you're giving feedback. So it is in one way. It isn't. And, and the accountability, too, is collaborative. I'm not just holding people accountable, but they're holding me accountable and I'm holding myself accountable as a leader. And then there's that self-awareness. What is it that I can bring to the table? So it's a partnership. So I bring the support to the table for people to succeed and then they have to meet me halfway and take that support and make it happen. I can't make it happen for them. And then the mutual feedback comes in because then if something's lacking, maybe I thought the support I was given giving was sufficient. They can say, hey, um, no, that's not sufficient. Now I want to back up a little bit because for that to be effective, for people to really be able to disclose I'm struggling here's the help that I need. There needs to be psychological safety in place. I need to create an environment where they know that my, I have their best interests in mind. I'm not out to get them. I'm there to support and to help and that anything that they need, I am there for them. As long as it's reasonable, of course, but I am there. And when that trust is there, then people feel safe enough to say, hey, here's where I need your help. So it is very much two way. And then there's that feedback I'm seeking to as a leader. It's like, what do I do? And one of the questions I asked all the time is, what do I do that it hinders you and that I should do or stop doing altogether? And the other question is, what can I do to support you that I'm not doing already? Or what can I do more of? And that opens up that conversation for that person to share. I think that's really good advice that people ought to reflect on and see how much of that is part of their day-to-day habitual way that they converse with the people in their team. Sylvia, are you ready for the My Quest for the Best lightning round? Bring it on. All right. So earlier, I asked you about someone who influenced and inspired you, and you talked about your parents. I thought that was wonderful. Is there a book that you think of that made a difference in the course of your life that you can refer to specifically? Yes. And one of them is the 12 elements of great managing. And that is actually the Gallup organization's Q12. And that is all about employee engagement. So that was very influential. And I also love Now Discover Your Strengths. So those two books were basically my Bible as I led people. I really, really enjoyed those two. And to this day, I still firmly believe in them. Sylvia, what's the easiest or least expensive change you've made in your personal or professional life in the last six months that's had the biggest payoff? I'm trying to think the biggest change, okay, is to learn how to say no. And I say that because launching my new business, it was very easy for me to take everything that came on being new And I realized I can't do that. I have to be selective about what I take on. And I have to um, really look at those projects that touch me at the core and that are the best fit for me so that I can give it my best and be passionate and not burn out. Because burnout is a real thing, whether you're in the workforce or even, you know, just as a person. 
Isn't that fascinating how when you start a new role, you cycle back to things that you think you didn't have to worry about or that you've already mastered in other contexts? For instance, I'm thinking that you've probably been pretty effective at saying no in your previous job where you worked for years and years. And now as an entrepreneur, you had to reevaluate that because you're in a different context and you have different responsibilities. Yes. And, and that's all part of learning. I think that, you know, there's something to be said about the experience in being in your particular field or industry. And there's always that learning curve. And so, yes, going back into that learning mode, you have to go back, you revert back to some things that you were right, you learned before and you've mastered and it's learning them again. But yeah, I had to learn that fairly quickly because I knew that I could only take on so much and I only want to expand so much in this early stage. Silvio, what's the most important habit, routine, or belief that you've stopped in the last year that's brought you the most pleasure or personal satisfaction? It's starting my day, not with work. I used to start my day with work, four o'clock in the morning, would start doing things specifically to advance professional goals. Now I start my day with personal time a time to reflect, a time to pray, a time to really set my day in the positive tone and, and start it off right. What kind of difference do you notice that that makes when you do that? And then maybe one day goes by when it's cut short or you're not able to do what you want to do and start your day off on that. What are some of the things you notice? So when I start my day off correctly, it just puts my mind in a certain frame, in, in a positive frame of mind. So when things happen, and I'm going to share something that happened today. So when things happen and a curveball comes in and they don't go as planned, and you know emergencies happen all the time, sure. um, things don't go as planned, then I'm in that right frame that can handle it and look at it for what it is. When I don't start my day preparing then I'm not in the same place. And the changes, I just take them differently. And I can feel stress levels rising. And I'm not in the greatest of mood. And if I'm not in the greatest of mood, the people around me, you know, it, it transfers. They feel it. People feel your mood. And I'll give you an example of what happened this morning. So this morning, I'm all set to come on your podcast. And I had to leave the room that I'm doing the podcast in. And I locked the door. You locked yourself out my keys inside with my purse. And it's a very strong lock. So, and I didn't have that much time left before the podcast was on. So I literally had to break the door to get in. And I did it not in a bad frame. I know it sounds awful. I was in a good frame and I thought about all the consequences. What are, what, you know, what are my pros and cons? And I thought to myself, canceling this podcast is not an option. People are waiting. There's a waiting list. Bill is depending on me. And it goes back to my parents. Dependability was very important. We had a strong work ethic. But again, it's that, it's that centering yourself. And I could have been in a frenzy and all upset. Instead, it was a problem that I had to deal with. I made a decision. I'm going to pay for it when I replace the door. But I'm here. So it's the way to start your day because you know that things will go wrong and you need to be ready for them. Sylvia, I just have to say how that makes my day to hear. <laughs> your resourcefulness I admire, but I deeply appreciate your commitment. <laughs> thank you, Bill. I appreciate it. I mean, it really makes my day. So thank you. 
You're welcome. Let's back up for a moment. You talked a little bit about the importance of trust in a supervisor-employer relationship. And two of the other pillars you talk about are effective communication and empowerment. Mm -hmm. Of those three, what's the one that most managers you've observed don't quite understand? Well, I wish I could say it was just one, Bill. All three of them are misunderstood. Mm -hmm. Now, the foundation for all of it is trust. Yeah, Trust is the bottom line. And you have to get that right. Once you build that, the rest flow out of that. So what are two tips that you could give someone to take a step back and say, no matter how much I work on building trusting relationships in work with my teammates, my peers, my supervisor, or even external relationships, what are two things that they could examine and reflect on that would help strengthen their trust to an even higher degree? Yes. So our interactions and our reactions with people. So how we approach the interaction, and you mentioned it, listening, listening more than we speak. The 80-20 rule is listening 80% of the time, speaking 20. And I'm going to confess that does not come easy to me. So it's something that, that I work on. And the other thing is if, if you want people to trust you when they come with a problem, when they say I made a mistake, regardless of the level or, or how big that mistake was, how I react is going to affect their trust. So, and, and I have to be consistent. I can't act one way today and tomorrow, today it's okay, I'll help you. And tomorrow I blow my top. That creates uncertainty for people. So they need to know what to expect and they need to expect that you're going to support them and have their back. And if that's there, then when I do make a mistake, and I've made them, I've made my fair share as leaders, then people are more forgiving and they're more bound to understand that, you know, maybe she had a bad day or maybe, you know, something else happened. They will find a way to be forgiving and graceful. That's right, because you've established that it's your commitment to that consistency and getting into that positive mindset by doing your morning routines, whatever it takes, helps you become consistent so that people really get to know who you are and to sense what your deep level of commitment is to them and how that you want to support them to do excellent work. Yes, and you touched on transparency right now in, in those sentences. So yes, they get to know who you are, who you really are. So being transparent, and that means as a leader, a manager, supervisor, executive even, I'm not perfect. I make mistakes and I can own up to those and then I can correct them and I can mitigate them. And knowing that we're not perfect, then, then, you know, your team is free to say, Hey, they're not perfect. I'm not perfect either. And then we work on our imperfections. It doesn't mean that we, we wallow in them. Well, Sylvia, you have shared so many great ideas on my quest for the best today. I want to thank you so much starting out and talking about the influence that your parents had and it's really clear that this has been a lifelong journey for you, something that really has been something you've reflected on and worked on and helped people with over the years because it's such a deep part of who you are and that comes across in how you teach. Thank you, Bill. I appreciate that.
I want to thank you for reminding us that it's critical to not just have these transactional conversations, but make them inspirational conversations so that there's meaningful work. And we're all focused on doing meaningful work because that's how it becomes much more important to everyone involved. I want to thank you for sharing some of the ideas of books that have made a difference, that learning to say no in your new role as an entrepreneur, and the importance of consistency that creates trust so that your interactions and reactions, people can learn authentically who you are based upon your consistency. I will always remember that other's example <laughs> that sometimes taking the bull by the horns means taking the door, locked door frame, <laughs> locked door by the frame. And let, me, <laughs> let me also say that I'll always remember your mother's example of taking the bull by the horns and being proactive and really taking action uh, translated this morning into you taking a locked door by the frame to make sure that you made the podcast. For that and so much more, Sylvia, thank you so much for joining me on My Quest for the Best. Thank you for having me, Bill. I really enjoyed my time with you. And Sylvia, where can we find out more about you and your work online? My website address is leadershipstrength.com. Sylvia Milena, author of Supportive Accountability, thank you again so much for joining me on My Quest for the Best. Thank you, Bill. I appreciate you having me. Hi, this is Bill, and I hope you've enjoyed this podcast interview on My Quest for the Best. Be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, or your favorite app so you never miss an episode full of stories, tips, and insights for the ambitious small business leader. Now I have a quick request for you. Please go to Apple Podcasts and iTunes and give us a rating and review. My team and I really appreciate the feedback, and we read every comment to find out what you enjoy and what you want as we develop new content, course materials, and a few surprises that we have in store for you. When you rate and review My Quest for the Best, you help other small business leaders find us, subscribe to the podcast, and join the community. You can get the Insider's e-newsletter for small business leaders by going to myquestforthebest.com. We have chosen a challenging path to make a living and make a difference in the world, and I believe it's important to share top-notch resources with each other, which is why you'll find new episodes from top thought leaders and small business experts on My Quest for the Best each week. Thanks for listening and being part of the community. See you on the next episode.